Becky. You guys believe in the Holy Spirit? I do. <laughs> and I hope you do if you're a Bible-believing Christian. Um, uh, do you need the Spirit? Uh, well, I do too. So can we pray? All right, let's do that. Laura, we uh, just ask for your help today. We need your Spirit to uh, strengthen us, to fill us, uh, to convict us, to sustain us. Um, and Laura, we just thank you for that, the fact that every believer uh, receives the Holy Spirit the moment they believe. And so, Laura, we're asking now, God, just for your, um, your help. I'm asking for your help in the preaching of the word and and uh, for those that are listening, whether in, they're in here in person or listening online, Lord, uh, they need your help to receive and to to be attentive to what you have to say to them specifically. And Lord, uh, we also uh, just want to lift up our brothers and sisters that are hurting this morning. We know we've uh, suffered, Lord, the loss of Walter and Ed and just to be with their families in a special way. Lord, strengthen them. Uh, let them know your nearness in tangible ways uh, through your spirit and through your people. Lord, and so we commit the rest of our time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning we're, we're talking about this passage where we learn more about John the Baptist. And he comes uh, on the scene. We read about him earlier in the book of Luke when, when his birth was announced and so on. And we, we, uh, we heard from his dad. We heard from his mom uh, and so on. Um, now we're going to hear from him. And uh, we're going to see what his ministry was. We're going to see uh, what his message was. And... Uh, but one thing we need to make sure is we need to kind of make sure that we approach this passage and not be like kids are sometimes at Christmas. Um, <clears throat> little kids, real little kids at Christmas sometimes, when they, they unwrap the gift, uh, they're so enthralled with the box that they forget, like, and the parents are like, no, no, like, go in, go deeper, you know? What's in there is the exciting thing. It's not the box, you know? And so you kind of get misdirected. So we don't want to get misdirected and like keep just our focus on John the Baptist because John, he knew it wasn't about him. He was pointing people to Jesus. And so we want to keep our eyes on Jesus today as we're in this passage as well. And so uh, as, we, as we move into this, we're just going to do a, a, a handful of verses at a time, but um, really... The focus of uh, our application today is going to be on how you can prepare for the coming of the Lord, how you can prepare for the coming of the Lord. And, and even though uh, I know and you probably know that John is speaking at a time before Jesus had come on the scene publicly and before Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the dead and, and then ascended, before all that, we know he, he's speaking at a different point in time. Yet I think there's definitely uh, parallels for us who are waiting for his return and how we can be ready and be prepared. Because his, John's message was a message of preparation for these people to be prepared 
for the coming of the Lord. And, and now we need to be prepared for the second coming of the Lord. Okay, And so that's kind of going to be our, our takeaway today as we go through this. But the first thing here we want to look at is in the first couple of verses in Luke chapter 3, we just are reminded of the historicity uh, of this, that, you know, our faith is a historic faith. It's rooted in history. Somebody didn't make this up. So let's take a look here in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of uh, Ituria, and uh, Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so just the fact that they mention, you know, Luke, remember, he's, he is um, he's, uh, writing this uh, for a person named Theophilus, and who it's he's we don't know for sure who he was, but he's likely some kind of Roman official by the way he's addressed by Luke at the beginning of the, of the book, uh, beginning of the writing of the gospel. And he wants him to be convinced of the things that he's been taught. And one of the things that we need to know to, to remind us and, and keep us uh, knowing that ours is a historic faith, right? And we should have confidence in that, that you can go back to specific uh, periods in time and dates and and um, leaders and governors and tetrarchs, as it says here, uh, these people really lived. John the Baptist really lived. He's not some kind of a symbol. He's not some kind of a myth that we kind of extrapolate some lessons from. Okay, so just just uh, you know, uh, be encouraged that ours is a historic faith. Uh, it's it's true. It's real, and uh, so. Now let's move into kind of the main part of things, and that is just that uh, four things to do in preparing for the coming of the Lord. And again, from our standpoint, looking at his second coming, uh, from the standpoint of the text here, it's uh, John announcing his first coming. And uh, so the first thing, though, we need to do that um, John is telling the people at his time that we need to also do is we need to have a repentant heart. We need to have a repentant heart. And we'll see this here in the verses 3 through 6. So let's take a look at the text here. It says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, and then it has a quotation from the book of Isaiah, the prophet. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so, there we have uh, these verses that tell us what John's message was, right? His message is was one of repentance. Not a popular word these days, um, but uh, it doesn't matter if it's popular. The matter is, is it true? Do we need to repent? Right? And, and, uh, and so I think we need to understand um, what the word means. It really means to, uh, 
to have a change of mind and a change of heart that will change your direction. So it's not just like, um, oh, I'm sorry about that, God. I didn't do things your way. Um, There should be a godly sorrow, but um, a a godly sorrow uh, also results in a change of direction in how you're living. You know, it's not like you... um, so. and you would do the same thing typically as as we're dealing with each other right um if i you know if i smash your finger with a hammer on purpose uh and then i say i'm sorry but i keep doing it i'm not really sorry right now i won't do that i promise uh but you know so the just just a, an extreme example just to show that well there's got to be a change here something that shows that there's a change of heart right now and so John uh, was preaching this baptism of repentance, and uh, really, uh, I think it's important, too, that we focus in on the repentance and not the baptism, okay? The baptism was just symbolic, okay, just as it is for us as New Testament believers. It's a symbol of uh, some inward change that's happened, right? And here's an outward demonstration of it. And so, it wasn't meant to be some religious ritual that you just kind of go through and say, oh, okay, well, now my sins are forgiven because I went through this ritual. No, no, uh, this, this uh, uh, symbol of baptism has meaning uh, with John's baptism as it does with ours and believer's baptism. It's, but, so repent is the message. And the first thing I want to mention, it kind of just ties in with what Charlie was uh, mentioning during communion, was just, you know, as as a, a key component of the gospel, is there um, there has to be repentance. We have to change our mind about how we see God and about how we see ourselves. Um, you know, you, you need to realize that. Um, you know, uh, the reality is that God is the creator of the universe. He is He is the Lord. He is our Lord, and His rightful place. Uh, should be at the center of our lives, and our lives should be submitted to His will. Have that you know proper view of God, right? And so when you think about ourselves having a proper view of self, um, so many people today, um, and it's not just today; it's in decades, been for decades and decades, uh, think that we are. Um, basically good people. And, uh, you know, we we have a higher view of ourselves than we ought to. Now, I don't mean, what you, what you shouldn't hear in me saying this is that you shouldn't have like a good, proper, healthy self-esteem. Like, you know, and, and the way I see that is we, we get our, our proper understanding of who we are in a healthy way from God. We're made in His image, right? And so on. But but the thing is, is we kind of, we, we, we tend to downplay um, uh, the sinfulness of sin, if we could say it that way, right? And so, um, in Romans chapter 3, it says, um, uh, it says, but if our righteousness serves, in verse 5, it says, but if our right, unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Then he goes on to say, um, 
He says, and in, in he's, he's quoting here, uh, Paul in Romans verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, um, in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And, um, and so it basically, he's just you know, laying out a case here that, uh, of the sinfulness of sin. It says there's no one righteous, no, not one. In our heart of hearts, in our natural state, when we're born into this world, we do not seek after God. It's God who seeks after us. And so, so uh, all of that to say is that um, everyone, if they're to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, has to have this initial encounter where we, in a sense, kind of bow the knee to the Lord Jesus and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of your saving grace, and I know that's why you went to the cross. All the things that Charlie said, uh, talking about communion, uh, in God's forgiveness and receiving that has to come from a p- proper view of God. We have to make sure that we change our mind. And I, you know, I believed in God and I, I believed in Jesus. I believed in the Bible, but I wasn't saved. I wasn't a Christian because I had yet to make it personal. I had yet to tell the Lord and, and to acknowledge before Him for myself personally that, Lord, I'm a wretch. Like it says in, you know, in Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me, you know, and just, you know, acknowledging that before God and then also recognizing who he really is, right? And, and so, um, in other words, God, you're, uh, you're calling the shots now, right? And I want to do what you want to do. And so, um, the, the, those are changes of mind and changes of heart that have to come for someone to be a Christian and for someone to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Okay? And so John uh, the Baptist was telling the people of the day as he's preparing the way, he, he's uh, quoting Isaiah and he's got this imagery right where he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight. And certainly that's all kind of language describing how you would make way for a coming king, right? You would, you would want to, you know, you're going to go out there and it's like when I played baseball, you know, we, we were free labor, so they'd have us go out after they dragged the diamond and guess you had to pick up the rocks. We did. Well, because you don't want to slide on a rock like that. You know, you want to prepare it, right, for the coming game. And so as he uses this imagery here of preparing the way, he wants to say, let's, let's raise up the valleys, let's make those level, let's bring down the mountain, let's make that level, let's prepare the way. Right? And so if you're going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, this, his second coming, right? you need to be rightly related to God and you need to turn from your crooked ways and make them straight by the grace of God. Right? You've got to turn to him. So we have this... This language 
of repentance, and, and this is what uh, you know, John the baptizer is proclaiming, a baptism of repentance, and so on. And so, you know, uh, have you done that? Are you know, if he came back today, you know, have you had that initial change of mind and heart toward God that you recognize who he really is, you recognize who you, you know, the sinfulness of your heart and your need for the Savior. I say that initial repentance because we're going to move on here in a second to some ongoing repentance that all believers need to uh, to walk in. Okay, so so we've got to have a change of mind and a change of direction as John is, is calling uh, these folks here to get ready for Jesus' first coming on the scene, and we also need to be ready for his second coming because no one knows when it is. No one knows what it is, right? Uh, I mentioned yesterday in the memorial service, okay, you know, when Jesus comes back, you're not going to have to wonder if he came, right? The trumpets will sound, and everybody in the entire world will know that he has come back. So, you know, if somebody says he's come back, and you haven't heard the trumpet sound, okay, or, you know, and the announcement, you know, it's not, it's a false alarm, right? Uh, and, and there have been books written, you know, uh, 85 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1985. That was a big one. I mean, just, you know, people keep writing these books, and they're, you know, and they keep putting dates to things, and when will they learn? You know, you just can't put a date on it, okay? So just stop. <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, you know I, I remember reading articles uh, at, at these different points in time over the years where, you know, people were selling their houses, they were jettisoning all this stuff, you know, it just banking on that date, you know, and it came and went. You know, well, I, I think it's it's good to be ready. <laughs> like, like, you know, I want to make sure my heart's in the right place. Um, but, but uh, you know, back to what John's saying here, we need to have this, um, this repentance, this changing our mind. Now, the, the one thing, too, though, is that as he goes further on, as John is out there in the wilderness, you know, and John's a strange guy, okay? You got to realize this, man. He wore strange clothes, ate strange things, and, you know, and, and so, but didn't you hear the opening verse? It says, the word of the Lord came to him. That's just like it would to a prophet, right? So he's like going to be the last, one of the last, like, in a sense, kind of Old Testament prophets. The word of the Lord came to him out there, and he's preaching this message of preparation for the people. But, but he says here, he says, our repent, uh, so the, the next thing, just our repentance should be evident, meaning there should be some evidence of repentance. And we've kind of hit on this a little bit already, but let's read the, the scripture here as it says uh, in verses uh, 7 to 14. It says, uh, John says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to, uh, to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, that'll sell books. Okay. I mean, you brood of vipers. So the thing I like about this is like he's not looking to get a crowd, right? He's not like saying what everybody wants to hear. He's just telling it the way it is, right? You brood of vipers, uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do, and do not begin to say to yourselves, now listen, he says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have, have Abraham as our father. Now, why would they say that? Well, he's speaking to a Jewish crowd primarily, 
and they're very proud of their Jewish heritage, right? Okay, they're God's chosen people, and, and of course, they haven't really got the message yet that, you know, that promise to Abraham long ago is going to include all nations, you know, anyone who would come to confess Christ as Lord and put their faith in Him, they would be grafted in as part of the people of God. They don't know that yet. And so they really have this, um, this, this proud lineage that they would claim, well, hey, we're, our father's Abraham, man. I mean, what are you talking about? What are you telling us, you know, uh, you know we've, we're, we're in, man. We're, you know, we're ready for the coming of the Lord because we're part of the chosen, right? And so, but, but the thing is, is that John's saying, well, listen, you're not part of the chosen here unless you really have a repentant heart. That's the thing. That's the thing. And so he says, for I tell you, God is able uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's like, if you won't bow the knee, if you won't repent in your heart, God's going to, he'll make people out of stones that will worship him the way he should be worshiped. So don't think you're anything special because you came from Abraham, special in some way that you're just in because you're like part of the lineage, right? Now, I'll tell you what, it is a blessing uh, for children to grow up in a Christian home. It sure is. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, that they, if their parents are, are teaching them the Word of God and trying to put them on the right path and loving them and realizing that their role is, you know, they're kind of the first idea, you know, as a parent, it's kind of scary. You're, you're, the first idea of God is going to come from you, right? You're the authority in their life. They're going to associate you, you know, as God is the authority, right? And so um, we want to image him properly. So that's challenging, certainly. But so it's it's a blessing. But, you know, just because you grow up in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're you're going to go to heaven, okay? Uh, again, there's blessings for being in a Christian family, I believe. But But you... Just like these individual Jews, you, uh, young people, you have to make a decision yourself. You have to make a decision yourself. And, you know, he's calling these individuals to repentance. He's like, I don't care what group you came from, right? I don't care if your your whole family won every Bible bowl quiz in, in church history, right? It doesn't matter, Okay. Do you have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ? Have you repented and seen uh, and put God and Jesus in their proper place in your life? Have you seen that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? That's what matters. That's what matters. That what, that's what makes you, in a sense, a child of Abraham. It makes you a true believer, right? And so he's pointing these things out. But he's saying, you know, our, our point here when we talk about that there needs to uh, our repentance needs to be evident as there needs to be evidence, right? And so he goes on to say, verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, fruit, fruit, fruit. He's pointing this out. Then he says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? That's a great question, right? What shall we do then? You know, if the axe is laid at the root, ready to chop down, if we're, you know, what should we do? And so what I find fascinating is he starts listing off some groups of people and telling them what repentance should look like, okay? And so he says here, and he answered them, so this is kind of to the masses, whoever has two tunics is to share with him uh, who has none, 
And whoever has food is to do likewise. Again, this is evidence of a transformed heart. um, You know, and you can really see in relationship to other people and how we see them if our hearts have been transformed by the love of God. We'll have a love for others. And so he's saying, hey, you guys, uh, you need to, uh, you know, there's evidence of true repentance here. And some of it has to do with how you love other people, right? And there's an outward manifestation. Then he goes to the tax collectors. You know, he goes to the IRS agents. And now what you got to realize, so these, again, speaking primarily to Jews, right? So if you're a Jewish tax collector, you're a traitor to the Jews. You are a traitor, okay? And many of those tax collectors would would charge more than the Roman government was requiring, and then they would skim the extra off the top and line their pockets, right? So what does he tell them? Because now they're asking, he says, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Now, I find it interesting that they came to be baptized. Why are they there to be baptized? Is it like they heard if I dunk in the water that I'm forgiven, or what is that? You know, it didn't say they came to repent, but maybe they didn't know they needed to. I don't know. But he goes on, and here's what he tells them. He said to them, "Collect no more than you're authorized to do." In other words, you know what your problem is. Turn from it. Right? That's repentance. Right? Turn the other way. Show with your actions that what you're saying with your words are really heartfelt. That's what he's saying. So he's got the tax collectors. Now come the soldiers. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by, uh, by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. And so, you know, some of the Roman soldiers would be known for abuse of power, right? Abuse of power. You could, I mean, you know, the Romans were taken over, and you got to do what they're telling you, you know, or you're going to be in jail, or they're going to, you know, kill you, or <laughs> maim you, or whatever, you know. They're in charge, and they had a presence, a huge presence. And so what he's telling these soldiers who are coming out and uh, to hear his preaching, and they ask, what should we do? He's saying, well, here's what repentance looks like for you, because you're known for this. And so, you may be saying, well, I'm not a soldier, and I'm not a tax collector, so I guess I'm okay. Uh, (laughs) Well, these are just specific examples, right? I think the thing is, you know, so after uh, after you have this initial encounter with God where you, um, you admit to Him your need for a Savior and that you're a sinner, and you repent uh, in that way, we still have indwelling sin in our lives. We still have remaining sin. We still do things that are wrong. We think things that are wrong. We do things that are wrong. We say things that are wrong that are uh, not glorifying to God and that hurt other people too. And so there is a, there's an aspect to Christianity where there's an ongoing repentance. Okay? It doesn't mean that you keep getting saved over and over again. Um, no, it just means that you know, your heart's not right. Uh, you, you've got the relationship with God thing. You've got that right. But there's, you know, you are um, willfully sinning in these ways, and you should, when the Lord brings those to mind, you should confess those to Him, right? 
you should confess those to him. And so here's what repentance looks like was, you know, if if you're um if you're if you uh, I don't know, I'm randomly thinking of ideas like, okay, what about your language? Okay? When you is your language on a regular basis, is it does is are they words that you could hear Jesus saying? Okay, and, and do they give grace to those who hear? Because that's that's what the scriptures talk about. Our speech ought to be give grace to those who hear. We ought to be praying as we speak with people that we would deliver the, uh, the, the words they need to hear, right? A timely word. Uh, and so, uh, or maybe um, you're, you've got a relationship that is strained and you, you haven't done your part to try to rectify it. You haven't done your part to try to make things right. And so, you know, repentance here... Uh, you have to do business with God. You and I have to, as he convicts us of sin in our lives as believers, we need to um, hop on those things he brings to mind. Right? You don't have to go fishing you know, uh, for everything that you've ever done. I tried that one time. It was very quite demoralizing. Um, and, and, you know, that doesn't really go anywhere very good. But you know, there are times when the Lord brings things up in the past that I need to deal with for sure. Um, but the idea is not to, like, make a total inventory of everything you've ever done wrong since being a believer and try to, like, be right with it. But uh, Lord is faithful. He knows what's going on in your life. And I think the thing is that we ask God to make us sensitive. Make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's what we need, okay? Okay, and, um, and, and sometimes, you know, God will work directly just internally with us through the Holy Spirit, or sometimes... Guess what? Your spouse is an agent of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're not the Holy Spirit, but they can be an agent of the Holy Spirit. And I find more times than not, my wife is, is right in step with the Holy Spirit, and it's just my pride that's in the way. Usually pride is, is usually the issue. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the thing is, is that, you know, as, as he gave these examples to what repentance looks like for them, Again, we're not talking this initial repentance where we come into relation with God and we confess our need for a Savior. But here we're just talking about kind of like ongoing like life maintenance in the area of our lives, pursuing holiness. Because God calls us to a life of, 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 of living life that's in alignment with His will. He knows we're not perfect, but He gives us the Spirit. And so when the Spirit whether by his word or just internally or by even through someone else, as he convicts us, we should respond to that. We should respond to it. If we don't respond and time goes on, we, we can harden our heart um, towards the Lord, and that's not a healthy place to be, okay? So we need to make sure that we, um, we have an ongoing, uh, you know, the Christian life, and, and you may have, you may have heard this before, but you know it is an ongoing life of repentance and faith, right? You got the repentance part. We've been hitting on that heavy today, and I'm sorry, but that's just where we're at. Let's think about preaching through a book of the Bible. You know, you can't just stay on the fun spots, okay? You know, you, you just kind of go through and say, oh, here we are. We're on repentance. This is going to be fun, you know? But the thing is, it is good. It is good for our soul, right? Because it's the Word of God. And so, so, as what we need to do 
is as the Lord brings things to mind, we need to take proper action. Confess it to Him. And then by faith, you know, you're, you're a believer. By faith, then you say, thank you, Jesus, that I am forgiven. Right? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. One step right after the other. It's a life of repentance and faith. But, um, and, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've learned over the years that um, there are different, you know, there's so many different personality types. We all know that. But, I mean, like within Christendom, there's some people who are super hypersensitive when it comes to sin in their lives. And I found that, um, like, like, even just like they're wondering, did I sin here? Did I sin there? And, like, uh, and they're, they're not really, uh, in a sense, secure in the grace of God. And so those people, I think, need to camp out on verses that really talk a lot about God's forgiveness and grace. But there's some of us, though, that we take uh, things a little bit more to the license side of things and say, well, Jesus paid it all. I can do it all. No, you can't. Right? <laughs> okay? I mean, that's license. That's wrong. That's uh, presuming upon God, right? What we need to do is find that medium, that, that middle place where we, we're secure in the forgiveness of Jesus and his grace, right? We're, 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 we're washed in the blood, right? And it's just a continual flood, right? But, but when we sin still now as believers, uh, it's like you're, you're still in the family, but, you know, the relationship is strained with, with our Father, and we need to we need to get it right, and we need to show that there is a heartfelt repentance and that and work, there's work involved, right? Isn't that the, the strangest thing in the Christian life? The Holy Spirit empowers us, but there's work involved on our part. It's both and. It's not one or the other. So it puts forth effort um, to overcome and, and, and grow in victory and overcoming sin in their lives. We don't believe here at Darber Creek you're ever going to be you know, there's, there, there, we don't think there's anything as, uh, like, you're going to be perfectly holy this side of heaven. In other words, like, sinless perfection, they call it, right? I think that's attainable. I think we see that clearly from Romans chapter 7. Uh, my view on Romans chapter 7 is Paul's a believer, and he's struggling. He's saying, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Well, because we have indwelling sin, and we will till Jesus comes back. So, so anyway... There should be evidence of repentance in our lives, and there, we should just be um, in the habit just of, you know, repentance and then also um, trusting God that He's still cleansing us and still forgiving us um, because of His promises, right? because of His promises of forgiveness for those who put their faith in Him. And you want to see a good model, in a sense, for repentance and forgiveness? Go to Psalm 32. Go look at what David did when he was confronted with his sin. It's a good place to go. Or 51, is it? 32. Let's go to 32. I don't remember. I think it's 32. Um, that's the one. I don't want to tell you the wrong place. <laughs> yep, there you go. Blessed is the one whose uh, who transgression is forgiven. And then, actually, they both apply. <laughs> Psalm 51 is about creating a, um, you know, it is about forgiveness. It's when David was confronted with his sin. So, yeah, read them both. 
You know, they're in the Bible. They're both about forgiveness. They both involve repentance. So anyway, um, now, third thing here is uh, to keep your focus on Jesus, right? We're going we're gonna to be preparing for the coming of the Lord. We need to have that initial repentance. We need to have ongoing repentance and faith as believers. And then we need to keep our focus on Jesus. That's what um, John was doing. He says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And it's like, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? You know, legitimate question because, you know, coming on scene and um, lots happening there with this baptism of repentance. And it says here in verse 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. And so uh, there we have John basically saying, hey, it's not about me. This is about Jesus, right? And uh, no, I'm not the Messiah. And I I was thinking about this, um, is that, you know, how can we keep our focus on Jesus? Well, there's a lot of different ways. But I would say, uh, first and foremost, who 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 are your closest friends? Who are your closest friends, and are they, are they um, really full-on followers of Jesus? Are they serious about their faith? Are they keeping Jesus at the focus and His Word uh, and His church? Are they keep Are they keeping those in proper perspective? And uh, because you know, like it or not, you're you're uh, you're being influenced by your closest friends. The people that you spend the most time with will influence your thinking. No matter how solid you think you are, okay, and uh, so so it's important for us to ha- make sure that uh, the people that we hang out with, and that you know, if, if if for some reason you have to move away, you go to another church. Make sure that you're going to a church that is keeping Jesus at the forefront, and it's not about and it's not some personality at the forefront. Okay, it's it's not about the person at the pulpit. It's about Jesus. Right and what he wants to do through his church. We want to stay away from people in churches that focus on building personalities, building empires, things like that. Um, I was thinking also just about this. Uh, I think it's in Hebrews um, chapter as we talk about preparing for the coming of the Lord. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that is set before us. So he kind of uses this imagery of the Christian life as running a race. And he's like, you know, you wouldn't run a race with a 100-pound pack on unless you actually had to, would you? No, you'd be crazy. you got to throw it off, right? And so he's saying, listen, the sin that you know that so easily entangles you, that trips you up often, he's saying, throw that off and run hard the Christian race. And so I think it fits right in with our theme of repentance today. But listen, how are we going to do this? Verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. And so, um, you know, and then it goes on, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. In other words, you're going to have some tough times as you run this race. As a Christian, you're going to have some tough times. And you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make your time with the Lord in the Word and in prayer. Top priority. Top priority. If you don't have a regular time with God in the Word and in prayer, you are missing a critical component in your walk with the Lord. Okay? You need daily food. You need regular intake of the Word of God so that, because, you know, that Word of God will speak to your heart. It's that Word of God that's going to work. It's living and active, it says, right? It's able to judge the intentions of the heart. It's able to kind of, it's like a spiritual surgery happens when you interact with the Bible with the right mentality and ask God to speak to your heart. And so we need that. You know, and that's probably been one of the biggest themes throughout these 30 years that we've been here is this constantly, you know, saying that same thing. If you don't have a regular time with God, you don't have your priorities right. I say that in the most loving possible way. You don't have your priorities right if you don't have a regular time with God and you're a believer. Okay? I'm not talking in some legalistic way. I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, we need the Bible in our hearts. And you can't rely on one meal a week. You can't. You can't run the race that's been set before you if you don't have regular intake of the Word of God, where you're interacting with Him. Okay? And you're asking God to speak to your heart. So we now they're gonna you're gonna miss days. Don't worry about that. But I find that's not where we're at usually. We're usually on the other side where we have many more days between than we do have on the regular. So, you know, is God going to love you if you're not in your Bible? Yes. But you're not going to be able to run the race with endurance that's been set before you. Keeping uh, Jesus at the forefront. The last thing, last thing here, uh, we need to make sure that we, uh, to prepare for the coming of the Lord, we need to live in light of the coming judgment. Live in light of the coming judgment. And this is what um, John the Baptist mentions here in verses 17 to 20. He says, he's talking about God. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's going on here? A separation. Right, your winnowing fork. You got your wheat and the chaff. The chaff you don't want. It's going to blow away as you toss it up, and the wind blows. And John is saying God's coming with His winnowing fork. And if you know your Bible, in every church all over the globe, there are wheat and there's tares, and there's going to be a separation. There'll be, um, you know, we're going to find out who's the real deal in the separation. And, and so John's saying, judgment is coming. Are you ready? This is very sobering. Like I said, you know, this is, people don't, 
preach these things that often because they're just not, they don't feel good. They're hard. You know, I'm not preaching to myself, right? I'm, this is the Word of God for me too, is to say, you know, uh, do I realize that judgment is coming? Is, do I see that that is a day coming? And yes, I've escaped God's wrath because of uh, accepting Christ as Savior, but there's still going to be a judgment of my deeds and how I live my life in terms of reward. Right? And do I want to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the issue, right? And so, so John's saying his winnowing fork is coming and judgment is coming. If we can keep that future, not in a not in a unhealthy way, but in a healthy way, there's a healthy fear, okay, uh, in mind. Listen, 1 John 3 says this. 1 John 3 Verse 2 and 3 says, Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, in other words, when the Lord appears, we shall be like Him. Right? Finally, the transformation will be complete when we see the Lord face to face, right? Until now, we're hopefully on this trajectory. Yes, hills and valleys, ups and downs, but hopefully we're on a good trajectory, um, uh, you know, towards... Uh, becoming more Christ-like in our lives. But then it says, um, so we, we, it appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then it says, and everyone, get this, 1 John 3.3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, you put your hope in his appearing, you put your hope, and your thoughts towards that future, that there is a judgment coming, that has a purifying effect on your life. You realize what's really important and what's not. And you start moving things around into a little bit more better alignment with what you know what God wants you to be doing. Right? It's a purifying effect when we realize that, uh, you know, we're not going to, as believers, not going to be sent to hell, but we want to... Um, do well with what the Lord's given us. Faithful stewards. You know, there's many parables written on this kind of thing in the Scriptures, right? But John tells us that there has a purifying effect if we keep that end in mind, the Lord's return. So, are you ready for His coming? That's the question. Only you can answer it. Have you repented knowing that and putting God in proper place in your life, accepted Christ as your Savior? Or do you have this mentality that as you go through your walk with the Lord through life, that you're going to have to, there's going to be a series of repentance and faith steps, probably daily. <laughs> if you're like me, it's daily <laughs> that you realize the Lord points things out and you confess to Him and so on. And then, you know, are you keeping the Lord, keeping Jesus as your focus, hanging out with people who do too? I'm not saying you should separate yourself from the world. That's not what the Lord calls us to. But you need to make sure that your closest confidants are those who are closest to Jesus, as far as you can tell. Then, are you keeping that final judgment in, 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 uh, in perspective? That it's coming. You need to think, we need to think that it's imminent. That it's, it's like it could happen tomorrow, because it could. Right? All right. Lord, help us. Lord, we just pray this morning, uh, very hard words, very challenging words from John the Baptist. And, um, but we need those, God. We know you love us, 
and we need to hear the challenging words. Uh, Lord, thank you for the reminder uh, just that, you know, none of us is perfect. We're, we're a people in process. You tell us in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Christ Jesus. So we know, we know by your spirit, your power, once we've received Christ as Savior, you're working on us. Lord, I just pray that we be cooperative. I pray that you'd help us to be humble and help us to respond properly when your spirit convicts us of sin. Maybe something's come to mind this morning that we need to deal with, with you or with someone else. Father, let us not let that fall to the ground, which you have brought to the forefront. The things that maybe you brought to our mind today that you want us to deal with. Help us to keep Jesus right in front of us. And Father, help us, God, to not forget judgment is coming. There will be an evaluation. And uh, yes, we're saved by grace, but you've been given us stuff to do, and we need to do it in a way that's glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.